about to listen to a sermon from Newtown Erskineville Anglican Church. As a church, we want to see whole communities captivated by Jesus Christ and living out His freedom. You know, brothers and sisters, that our visit to you was not without results. We had previously suffered and been treated outrageously in Philippi, as you know, but with the help of our God, we dared to tell you his gospel in the face of strong opposition. For the appeal we make does not spring from error or impure motives, nor are we trying to trick you. On the contrary, we speak as those approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel. We are not trying to please people, but God who tests our hearts. You know that we never used flattery, nor did we put on a mask to cover up greed. God is our witness. We were not looking for praise from people, not from you or anyone else, even though as apostles of Christ we could have asserted our authority. Instead, we were like young children among you. Just as a nursing mother cares for her children, so we cared for you. Because we loved you so much, we were delighted to share with you not only the gospel of God, but our lives as well. Surely you remember, brothers and sisters, our toil and hardship. We worked night and day in order not to be a burden to anyone while we preached the gospel of God to you. You are witnesses, and so is God, of how holy, righteous, and blameless we were among you who believed. For you know that we dealt with each of you as a father deals with his own children, encouraging, comforting, and urging you to live lives worthy of God, who calls you into his kingdom and glory. And we also thank God continually because when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as a human word, but as it actually is the word of God, which is indeed at work in you who believe. For you, brothers and sisters, became imitators of God's churches in Judea, which are in Christ Jesus. You suffered from your own people the same things those churches suffered from the Jews, who killed the Lord Jesus and the prophets and also drove us out. They displease God and are hostile to everyone in their effort to keep us from speaking to the Gentiles so that they may be saved. In this way, they always heap up their sins to the limit. The wrath of God has come upon them at last. But, brothers and sisters, when we were orphaned by being separated from you for a short time, in person, not in thought, out of our intense longing, we made every effort to see you. For we wanted to come to you. Certainly I, Paul, did again and again but Satan blocked our way. For what is our hope, our joy, or the crown in which we will glory in the presence of our Lord Jesus when he comes? Is it not you? Indeed, you are our glory and joy. Well, this is the second week in our series on the book of 1 Thessalonians, where we are thinking about stories of faith. As Phil launched us in last week, stories have a beginning, a middle, and an end. All good stories have that. And every story of faith has a beginning, middle, and end as well. And through the book of Thessalonians, Paul walks through the 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 past, the present, and the future of the faith of the Thessalonians. And as we walk through the book of Thessalonians, we learn about the past, the present, and the future of our own faith, of the story that God is weaving not only throughout his universe, but in individual lives like yours and mine. And as we delve into chapter 2 today and we think about the past of the Thessalonians, something really interesting stands out. 
When we think about faith normally in this age, we think about private spiritual experiences. But in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, it's not a story of me or a story of you. It's a story of us. Through the whole chapter is this language not of individuals, but of family. Brothers and sisters, he says four times. He calls himself an infant at one point, and then a mother the next moment, and then a father, and then an orphan child again. The whole chapter is soaked in language not of individual faith, but communal family faith. Because this is not the story of you or me. This is the story of us. Faith happens in community. That's the, the past story of the Thessalonians. That's our story. Not individuals doing faith, but a family doing faith together. I think this will correct our vision of faith away from the individual and toward the communal, toward the reality that we are a family around Jesus Christ. So I've got four things today about the story of us, why we have communal faith and not just individual faith. And the first thing we learn is this, that, you know, in all of our sto- stories, God used someone to tell us the good news. We didn't just discover Jesus. We didn't just discover the good news about God on our own. It came to us through the lips, through the mind, through the heart, through the presence of someone else. Faith is the story of us. See, that's the, the, the past of the Thessalonians. Chapter 2 starts with that. You know, brothers and sisters, family, that our visit to you was not without results. Don't you love that? We came to you and something happened. It wasn't just an accidental occurrence. It was a divine appointment. Paul goes on and speaks about how he'd been previously treated outrageously in Philippi, and they'd come and dared to preach the gospel in Thessalonica as well. In, In Acts, we learn about this journey that Paul was on starting in Antioch through Turkey and across the Aegean Sea into Neapolis, into Philippi, and then to the city of Thessalonica. It was part of one of his great missionary journeys. Here's a picture of the marketplace in modern day Thessalonica, or the ancient marketplace in modern Thessalonica. And what we learn in Acts 17 is that when Paul came, it it got a bit crazy. Well, what we read is that he went to the synagogue and he reasoned from them with them from the scriptures that the Messiah had to suffer and rise from the dead. And then the miracle happened. That as he proclaimed Jesus as Messiah, some of the Jews were persuaded and joined Paul and his mate Silas, as did a large number of Greeks and quite a few prominent, read rich, famous, influential women. What an incredible story. This is the story of us. God sent Paul to the Thessalonians. Paul was the means by which they heard about Jesus. As Paul says, it was in the midst of opposition. What happens next is the disbelieving Jews went to that marketplace we just saw, got some bad characters together, and went and and chased after Paul, pulled some believers before the city and started shouting, these men who've caused trouble over the whole world have now come here 
They're defying Caesar's decree, saying that there is another king, one called Jesus. This is the origin story of the Thessalonian church. And it's a story of Paul daring to come to tell them the gospel. And what we learn from this story is that it took Paul's coming for them to learn about Jesus. And what, and what Paul spends the first bit of the chapter doing is explaining how he came. He, you know, he came in this opposition, in this difficult time. He, he says it, it wasn't out of uh, error that we came or impure motives that we came. We weren't trying to trick you. No, we would have been entrusted with the gospel by God. We are not trying to please people, but God who tests our hearts. We never used flattery. We didn't use greed. God is our witness. What's Paul trying to say? God sent us with his gospel in his power and he tested our hearts to give you the good news because friends, it always takes someone else to tell us the good news about Jesus. Who's your someone else? Who's the person who came to you to tell you the good news? Who is the person who showed you that it was Jesus? Who is the person who's pointed you to come on this live stream and explore Jesus for the first time? You see, faith is always communal, even from the very beginning. This is the story of us, not just the story of you, not just the story of me. But what what happens is through, through the sharing of good news between people, what happens, Paul says, and what happened in Thessalonica is that the good news as it's proclaimed and heard and, and honored is it grows this affectionate family. You see, through the rest of the chapter, all this familial language grows up about the way Paul feels about the Thessalonians. You know, he contrasts between the different motives he might have had in coming. You know, he said, we didn't use greed. We weren't trying to trick you. We, we tried to please God, not people. And, and instead, what we were like among you was like little children, verse 7. Innocent, unable to do wrong, simple, God-honoring, here to tell you the good news. Why else would they be there? Suffering persecution, full of opposition, on the run from prison in Philippi. There is no reason for Paul to be there other than he wants to be there to tell them the good news. They came as infants. And he goes on and says, you know, we were like nursing mother caring for her children. Like a, literally like a mother taking a child to the breast. Feeding, nourishing, caring, loving. It's intimate. It's affectionate. It's warm. It's remarkable. It's not a phrase you expect Paul to be saying about anyone, if you know anything about Paul in the New Testament. But what he goes on to describe is, they loved, we loved you so much, we delighted to share with you not only the gospel of God, but our lives as well. See, this is what happens when, when people share the good news of Jesus with one another. This affectionate family starts to grow. Paul all of a sudden was a parent. They all of a sudden were children. All of a sudden, because everyone was learning about Jesus, a family grew up. And not just any family, but an affectionate family. 
Now, as we read that phrase that we delighted to share with you, not only the gospel, but our lives as well, it's kind of like, well, if you love someone a bit, you share them the gospel, but if you love them a lot, you share everything. I don't think that's quite right. I think it's more that the sharing of the gospel bred a close, intimate, affectionate way of life. That's what happens in church. That's what happens amongst the community of believers. As we share Jesus with one another, affection and love grows. That's what's been happening during COVID. I'm hearing about it all the time. People saying that they're sharing Jesus with one another deeply and truly in a way they haven't before, and they feel close. Sharing the good news with one another grows this affectionate family. Paul calls himself a father later on. And as if uh, each of the Thessalonians is a child and, and one by one, he takes them by the hand and talks to them and, and explains the gospel to them and cares for them and longs for them. It's a beautiful picture of Paul individually caring innocently for each of the Thessalonians. They became family. You know, the person who told me about Jesus was a guy named Anton, and I was a 15-year-old at the time. You can imagine me at 15. I looked similar to this. Uh, I haven't really aged much. But, you know, he, he didn't need to be there reading the Bible with me week after week. There was no money to be gained from it. There was no fame to be gained from it. There was no one to please. He was there like Paul, just wanting to tell me the good news. Just wanting to explain to me how good Jesus was. And you know what? We became affectionate family. We became best friends. We were in each other's bridal parties. We did life together for a long time before ministry and family life meant that we had to go separate paths. Because that's what the gospel does. It builds affectionate family. It builds concern for one another. Friend, in this time, who are you spiritually concerned for? In the, the time of physical distance, who are you checking in on? Who are you with concern and affection moving toward in church family? That's what we are, church family around the Lord Jesus. But the other thing you notice about Paul and the way he describes this family is he says, well, affectionate family encourages worthy living. That's a type of father that Paul describes that he was in verse 11 and 12. For you know that we dealt with each of you as a father deals for his own children, encouraging, comforting, and urging you to live lives worthy of God, who calls you into his kingdom and glory. You see, the affection we feel for each other as church family is, is not just an end in itself. It's, a, it's an affection with a particular purpose, with a particular direction to it. And Paul says he was a father, and this is something I didn't notice until I read it this time, who dealt with each one of you. I love that phrase, each individual Thessalonian. As a father deals with his own children one by one, encouraging, comforting, and urging to live lives worthy of God who calls you into his kingdom and glory. And I think that word encourage in verse 12 is a very important one to this entire letter. Paul keeps using that word. He's actually used it earlier in the chapter when he says the word appeal, the appeal we made to you, verse 3, same word as the word encourage. And he goes on in, in 1 Thessalonians 4, verse 1, when it says the word urge in the NIV, it's the same word encourage. And that's the, the, the central command of the whole letter. We ask you and encourage you in the Lord Jesus to do this more and more. 
The letter is written as a, an encouragement for them to increase and abound in the faith that they have begun. Uh, again, in uh, 1 Thessalonians 5, he says, And we urge you, encourage you again, brothers and sisters, warn those who are idle, encourage the disheartened, help the weak, be patient with everyone. This is a letter of encouragement. This letter is part of, of Paul's spiritual fatherhood of the Thessalonians. In this letter, he is doing the thing he said he did when he was with them, encouraging them, pushing them ahead, moving them toward living a deeper, fuller, richer faith. In the letter, he encourages them to do this to one another. Encourage one another with these words in chapter 4, verse 18. Or in 5.11, therefore encourage one another and build each other up just as in fact you are doing. You see, this is what spiritual family is for. Encouraging one another. Comforting and urging are two words he puts with it in verse 12 to kind of explain how encouraging is not just one thing to every person at every time, but it has different flavors and colors and hues. Sometimes it's a word of comfort for someone who's grieving and lost and in pain. Sometimes it's like a spur in the back for someone who's got lazy. Sometimes it's a gentle word for someone just needing an encouragement to keep going along the way. And notice what he says it's for, encouraging, urging, comforting to what? To live lives worthy of God who calls you into his kingdom and glory. See, it's not live a life worthy so you're acceptable to God and he invites you into glory. No, live a life worthy because you're already headed toward glory. Because you're already in God's kingdom, because the gospel is the means of entry, and then we live life living up to what we've already attained. That's what we are summoned to do for each other, to encourage each other as spiritual family deeper into the life of faith. It, it's never the story of me or you. It's a story of us, a story of us living worthy of what we've been given. Friend, when was the last time you, you, you were with someone discerning how to live? in this world, with your finances, with your family relationships, with your career choices, with your friendship choices at school or uni, with the decisions you're making about alcohol, with the decisions you're making about what you watch on TV or what you stream. When have you been walking with another brother or sister, encouraging, urging, comforting to live worthy of what you've been given in Jesus? It's not the story of you or me. It's the story of us. Together, affectionate family, living worthy of what we have already been given in the gospel. But the fourth and final thing is this, that as spiritual family, what we don't trust is our ability to make each other be better or live worthy. What does Paul celebrate in verse 13? What does he give thanks for? He gives thanks for the way that the Thessalonians received the gospel, the word of God, which they heard from them because they accepted it not as a human word, but as it actually is the word of God, which is indeed at work in you who believe. What happened? What was the catalyst for the birth of this family? It was the gospel. It was the good news about Jesus. It was who Jesus is that was announced to the Thessalonians. The Messiah has come in the death and in the resurrection of Jesus. And that word was received by the Thessalonians, as we see in chapter 1, in the power of the Holy Spirit. And they, they heard not Paul, but God. God summoning them through Paul. 
And it's that same word of the Lord Jesus that is at work among them, summoning them, enabling them to live worthy. You see, in the beginning, that their story began when they accepted God's word and they suffered straight away for it, didn't we? We saw that in Acts. They got pulled before the assembly straight away and accused of doing wrong for following Jesus. And Paul says, you know, you became imitators of God's church in Judea, which are in Christ Jesus. You suffered from your own people the same things those church suffered from the Jews. You started suffering for your faith straight away. That's how we knew it was genuine. But how does he encourage them in that suffering? How does he frame it? How does he make sense of it? How does he urge them? How does he comfort them? How does he encourage them? Well, he says, well, you suffering the same thing that Jesus did. You're suffering the same thing the prophets did. You're suffering the same things that God's people will suffer until the wrath of God comes and Jesus returns. How does he encourage them in their suffering? With the word of the gospel with the death and resurrection and the future coming of Jesus. You see, the way to spur each other on, the way to encourage and comfort and urge one another toward the things of the kingdom of God, to live worthy, is the word of the gospel. That is the power. That's what Paul says in chapter 4, to encourage each other with. To encourage each other with, with the fact that Jesus will come one day and raise us all from the dead. And whether we live or whether we die, we'll always be with him. He says it again in in chapter 5. He died for us so that whether we are awake or asleep, we may live together with him. Therefore, encourage one another and build each other up. What with this truth, with the truth of who Jesus is. It's only in the light of who Jesus was for us and who he will be for us. It's only in the knowledge of the fact that he is the one who suffered unjustly on the cross. Our unworthiness for God's kingdom so that we could be made worthy. It's only when that word is spoken again and again and again to each other that we will live a life worthy. We are to be a spiritual family, affectionate, who continually give the good news to one another so that we live worthy. It might be worth just pausing for a second and thinking, who are some people around you right now who need encouragement? Who need urging? Who need comforting? How does the truth of who Jesus is, what do they need to hear about him right now? How will it enable a new way of life? Who are you going to summon to, to ask questions of how to live worthy with the things you're wrestling with? Because friends, this is not about a story of you or me. This is the story of us. And in this strange COVID season, we need to move toward each other with the good news of Jesus. Because when we do that, God will build us up, encourage us, comfort us, and enable us to live worthy. Because God moves in his family by means of his gospel spoken by brothers and sisters into each other's hearts. Friends, he died for us to make us worthy. He was the son thrown out that we might become a family. So let's move toward each other with the same words of truth and grace. Amen.
Thanks for listening to the Newtown Erskineville Anglican Church Podcast. For more audio content and information about our church, please visit neac.com.au.